have in our bulletin there, in the, inside the front page, there is a verse that's listed there in Colossians 1.10, which is the theme verse for us for the year. It kind of outlines for us a desire that we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and that you may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. As a result of that being our theme verse, we have designated that the series that we are going to be preaching on throughout the year are leading us in the direction of growing in the Lord. And I I said at the very beginning of the year that for any of you that have been followers of Christ for any length of time, you need to be able to look at your life and recognize that there's discernible, definable growth that takes place in your life both in the knowledge of the Word and in the application of the Word. And if this is taking place, then you know that you're being led of the Spirit in a growing pattern in the Lord. And and the desire of the Lord is that we would not be the same way last last year as we are this year, nor next year, that there should be growth within us because that's what God desires of us. And the series that I've been on, this will be the third week of it, is Identity Theft. Knowing who we are in Christ, we, we live in a world where the prince of this world is doing everything in his power to try to rob from you your identity when you belong to Jesus Christ. To plant seeds of doubt in your mind as to the reality of his royalty and to your place within his family. Last week we spent some considerable time and I am sorry that the battery on my microphone died last week and so... Last week's message will not be on the website, but we spent quite a bit of time talking about what it means that when He was made sin for us so that we can be His righteousness and and about what that indicates to us as to who we are in Jesus Christ. That we literally were made brand new. We are new creations. That the very nature that we have within us changed from sin and death unto life when Jesus Christ transformed you. Now, for those of you this morning that raised your hand and indicated that the message that came forward through the ministry and the manifestations of the Spirit, that God was speaking to you because of the prodigal life that you have been living, I want you to know that there was something eternal that took place when you prayed that prayer. Sometimes we might not always feel things on the inside, but in the reality of the realm of faith, something changed in you. Jesus Christ transformed you in that moment and now you are on a journey of growth within the Lord. I want you to know that around this room we are all on this journey. Some of us at different stages of it and the Lord has called us to be family together to move forward in growing in the Lord. These past few weeks I've been starting a series where we're taking out of Ephesians the different things that Paul says to us is our identity in Christ, things that we can hang on to. And I'd like this morning if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading verses 3 through 14. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ 
in accordance with His pleasure and will. To the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us and in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure for He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of Him who worked out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in Him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. There's a lot of good stuff right there. And I can't wait to share some of it with you today. Today, I want you to say this with me. I am blessed. Let me try that one more time. One, two, three. I am blessed. How many of you really believe what you said? 72% of you. Much of the book of Ephesians is Paul in speaking in prayer. Almost half the book of Ephesians is a prayer. It's either Paul recounting a prayer that he has prayed, or maybe it's Paul outlining a prayer or requesting prayer or exhorting uh, exhorting the Ephesians to prayer. But the the whole book is filled with prayer. And if you look at verses 3 to 14, it's really, in the original, it's one long sentence. Now, for those of you that are English teachers, that would drive you nuts, run-on sentences. But this is the way that that particular sentence was written. And you'll notice as we read it that it is a prayer of praise. We who belong to Christ have much reason to praise today. Because this prayer is a life reorienting prayer. Because it's designed to remind us who is most important in our life. And that is God. And that is something that we desperately need to be reminded of on a regular basis. I am not talking about pagans. He's not writing here to the pagans. He's not talking about the atheists that need to be reminded. I'm talking about Christians need to be reminded from time to time. The most important person in our life is God. That's why the first principle of theology is there is a God. The second principle of theology is it is not you. He is not you. You are not Him. There's a God and you are not Him. And it's important for us to remember both of these principles as we go through life. There are times when you will wonder where God is. There are times it will be dry in your spirit. There will be other times when you will sense the presence of the Lord so close to you that it seems there's nothing you can't do but be overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord. And when we understand that we are living blessed lives... We need to understand that the most at times when we're in the middle of troubles, when we're in the middle of difficulties and trials and disappointments in life, 
At times like that, the world tends to shrink in our eyes and we tend to turn in on ourselves and we think that what is most important in life is getting whatever we are in to get fixed. And that the most important thing that God can do for me in that moment is to accommodate me. And if He will accommodate me in that moment, then I am blessed. And if He does not, then I am not. And within this prayer of these verses of Ephesians, Paul begins to remind us that there is a God that is overlooking you, that has His hand upon you, and that the circumstances of your daily life are in His control, and that He knows what's happening. So we approach the Bible this morning, and the question that we ask is, Lord, what do you want to teach us about you through your Word so that we can pray with better understanding? The Bible tells you that you need to understand that you are blessed. You are blessed. This may be easier for us as Americans to say than it is for other people in the world. And yet in our class this morning, we were talking about some of the the missions trips that we've gone on and how in every case we were astounded when we go to third world countries or fourth world countries at how happy the Christians are there. How joyful they are in worship. How exuberant they are in their praise of the Lord. When in comparison to the way we live, they have so little. When they're living in huts and on dirt floors. We, knowing that we're going to be there a few days, have within our mind, I can't wait to get back home. They stay in that situation, yet there is a sense within them as believers that they are blessed and they are right. Our blessings do not determine or are not determined by our circumstances. Webster defines blessed as this, enjoying happiness, or specifically enjoying the bliss of heaven. It carries the idea of that which brings pleasure or contentment or good fortune. Simply stated, it is a state of being that we all want to enjoy. I like being blessed. I thought somebody would say amen. We all like blessings. There isn't a person in this room that doesn't enjoy blessings. And certainly together we are blessed people. But when it comes to the matter of blessings, as we view it through the lens of Scripture, we often view blessings in the wrong light. Most often, we think of blessings as we are blessed if everybody in our household is well. We consider ourselves blessed if there is money in the bank and the bills are all paid. If we're living in a nice home and driving a good car, we equate that with being blessed. And I would have to agree that all of those things could equivalent, could be the equivalent of God's blessing. However, if that is strictly the view that we hold of blessing, then what happens when a loved one is stricken with cancer? What happens to our life then? When we find out that we have a disease or we're not well, do we cease to be blessed? What happens when the job that the Lord has provided for you allows you to only afford a junk car? What happens when your house is falling apart or has water in the basement because the snow and the rain hit at the same time? What happens 
when there's no money to pay all of the bills, does that mean somehow that the Lord has stopped blessing us? That He's removed His hand for us? And I want you to know, according to Scripture, the answer to that is no. The problem is that we tend to think and tend to look at blessings in regard to how they benefit us materially. And we, specifically as Americans, like to see that as long as we have something, then God is blessing us. What we know is the real blessing of the Lord is not material because everything that we have that is material is temporary at best. I remember the first car I got. 1967 Volkswagen. It was old when I got it. I was proud of that car. Wherever it is today, if it is still running, it is a rust bucket. Because regardless of what we have that is new today, it will not be new tomorrow, and it will do nothing but get old, and it will rot. Those things that we lay in our life to consider blessings, if they are material possessions, what do you do when they're gone? The Lord begins to speak to us through Ephesians as to what real blessings are. That they are spiritual in nature. He says, the blessings of the Lord that are real are spiritual in nature. They are spiritual blessings and they will never be taken away from us. When everything else is gone, when everything else is broken down, when all of the money has been spent, we will still possess within our nature the very presence of God and the blessings of God because His blessings to us are spiritual. And so He begins to speak to us about the blessings of the Lord. And as He talks about blessings, there's an interesting thing that takes place here. He uses some words that... For those of you that like studying Greek, you'll notice that it was the term blessings, being blessed of the Lord, was an aortist tense. It also is an active voice, which simply means that something that has been stated in Scripture means this. It's happened in the past, it's happening now, and it's going to happen in the future. And so he begins to tell us that the blessings that we receive spiritually, not only did they take place when we came to Christ, they are happening at this very moment. And when you wake up tomorrow, they are still going to be happening. In other words, God, once He's placed His hands around you, as long as you remain there, you're remaining in a state of blessing because of His presence and your relationship with Him. I've been blessed. I am being blessed. And I will be blessed. Because the facts of the Word state it. And I can stand fast on the Word. If you have your bulletin, there's an outline of some of the points that we have this morning. And there's going to be a lot of Scripture today. And we won't have time to spend a lot of time on all of it. So I'm going to ask that you take your pens and pencils and you can at least jot down the Scripture text so that you can follow up with it this week in some devotional time. The first point that I want to bring to you today is the quantity of these spiritual blessings. The quantity of the blessings can be wrapped up in a simple word that we find in verse 3. It says that He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Now, some of you may have friends that hold out on you. That tell you things and get your hopes all built up. And when you get there to see it or you get there to experience it, it's not what it was cracked up to be. I want you to know something. When the Lord lets you know that He has every spiritual blessing for you, He's not holding out anything on you. From the moment that you receive Christ or the moment that you become a follower of Christ, you are a full heir 
to everything that He has for you. It's not that you have to work your way through certain grades to get the blessing. You have the full inheritance of heaven the moment that you come to Him. We have every or all spiritual blessings that we need to live the Christian life. You see, God has not held anything back from His children. He gave us everything we needed to serve Him. Everything we needed right now to be content, to be successful in Him, to be obedient, to be useful, to be overcomers in the kingdom of God or to be happy in Jesus. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and I'm reading this verse out of the New Living Translation. He states this, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. For those of you that have this sense, perhaps you've not yet committed your life to Christ because you've had this idea in your mind, I will never be able to live the life. The enemy has whispered in your ear that, you know what? You're a lost cause. You don't have what it takes. You're not disciplined enough. You can't be good enough. Have any of you ever heard the enemy tell you that before? What you need to understand is that what stands on the other side of that decision is Jesus Christ who says, I will give you everything, everything you need to live this life of godliness. There is provision that's being made for us. There's not a single one of you that has to live from failure to failure to failure. Because Christ has provided what you need through the power of His Holy Spirit to begin to live a life of contentment in Jesus Christ. And when you and I make a conscious decision to become followers of Jesus Christ, we get everything that He has to offer us at the very moment that we come to Him. There's nothing else. That's the quantity of our spiritual blessings. Secondly, there's the quality of the spiritual blessings. And I am not going to reread all the verses that we read in our text, but I'm going to refer to where they are found as we begin to list some of the things that our text has for us today. Paul describes the quality of these blessings as blessings in the heavenly realms. This literally means that the blessings are things that originated in heaven. They are not earthly in nature. They are not earthly blessings, but they are heavenly blessings. Now, I know it's difficult for us to understand because we are earthly people right now. But that's merely temporary. We are going to be facing an eternity, every one of us. And that eternity for those of us who are committed followers of Jesus Christ is going to be with Him. Which meant that everything that we're going to be having for billions and billions and billions of years are the blessings that He stores for us there. And after we've gone through billions of years, we'll have just started. And so He speaks to us about these blessings, these heavenly things. And the first thing that He speaks of in verse 4 is He speaks of foreknowledge. This verse deals with the matter of election. For some reason, God in His wisdom chose you and chose me before the world was ever formed. He knew we were going to exist. He wrote a book about what our life could be like. When He was forming me in my mother's womb, He had already determined what family I would be in, 
And I cannot explain everything there is to explain about election or the ramifications of it, but what I'm going to do is rejoice in it. God knows you. And when the enemy whispers in your ear and tells you that you are insignificant, perhaps he has whispered in your ear and say, because of the way I came about, I was a mistake. Because of the life that I have lived, I have removed myself from His blessings. I want you to know that He is a liar. Because God knows you. And loves you. And stated that it is not His will that any should perish. We've all been chosen by God for His grace. And the decision comes to us. In Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 31, the Scripture says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to conform to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, if there's ever a verse that we need to repeat together, it's that one. If God is for us, who can be against us? What that does for us is it begins to bring to us a recognition that we serve the highest royalty. That we serve the one who has the final say. And so the Lord begins to speak to you and says, I know you. I know you, I made you, I planned you, I've got plans for you, and there's blessings for you because of the work that I have done. In verse 5, there's a blessing that spoke of, of, it speaks of family. The verse tells us that we were adopted into the family of God. Adopted into the family of God. Later on in this series, I will spend an entire message on what it means to be adopted into the family of God. Let me just say, for any of you that may have been adopted, you know the joy of being chosen. Some of us that were born into families, we weren't chosen. We just were there. God knew we were coming. But some of you who may have experienced adoption know the joy of being chosen. There are some scriptures that indicate to us the strength of being part of the family of God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what will, we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. I love that verse. Because it confirms some of the things that we said last week about the nature change that takes place within us. That when we became brand new creatures in Christ, our nature on the inside changed. We talked about the analogy of, of the magnet that held things together and those that didn't have that were thrown off. So we know that when He appears, there's going to be part of our nature that will be like Him because He has changed us. And we shall see Him as He is. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17, it says, Now if we are children then we are heirs. You could stop that verse right there and rejoice. 
Because now we begin to see the progression. You've come to be a follower of Christ. As a result of that, you're a child of God. And as a result of being a child of God, you now become an heir. Remember when I said that the moment you entered in, it was with full privileges. The Scripture says that at that moment you became heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, and indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we also may share in His glory. Now you see, we like that first part, and then we get to that sharing in His sufferings. And we're saying, okay, Pastor, could we just go back and talk about the first part again? The Scripture never indicated that we left a blessed life when we enter into sufferings. In fact, makes very clear that this is part of a blessed life. Is identifying with family. Going through things with family. Going through things with our Father. And so we are sons and daughters with all of the rights and all of the privileges that come to any child being born into the family. And the Scripture says that to us. In verse 6, one of the blessings that we receive is it speaks of God's favor. How many of you like living in God's favor? I was praying for some of you this week. I knew some of you had some job interviews and had been sharing with me about things that were going on. And my prayer for you was, Lord, I just pray that you would show them your favor. God, give them favor. Let something they say in the interviews or something they say, Lord, just capture the heart of those that are, that are being involved in the interview process. If this is your will, Lord, then I just pray you'd demonstrate your favor. It's wonderful living in the favor of God. And really what favor means is it means that you are accepted. That you are accepted by the Father. When we received Jesus, we were reconciled to the Father. And there was a time that we were outcasts. There was a time that we were aliens. There was a time that we were not family. But when we came to Him, we became in Christ and we became family. And as a result of that, we are accepted by the Father. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 12 and 13, it says, Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near, and here's the qualifying factor, through the blood of Christ. In other words, the cross represents the difference for us. When you see the cross and you receive the Christ of the cross, you receive the redemption from sins, something takes place in your life. And so we live in His favor at that point. You see, some of you used to be on God's hit list. You lived lives that were pretty lousy and you intended it to be that way. You didn't live in any way to please the Lord. But when you became a follower of Christ... You didn't just change sides, you changed natures. And now within you there is a desire to please the Father. And the Father being pleased with you begins to bestow His favor upon you because we wear the righteousness of Christ. What a huge blessing that we can live in the favor of God. In verse 7 of our text, it speaks of a blessing of freedom that we have. The verse tells us, that we have been redeemed. We have been redeemed. Now, there's a lot of reasons for us to rejoice in this world, but knowing that the Lord has redeemed me is perhaps one of the greatest. And as I did a little study, I discovered that there are three Greek words that are used that is, that is translated for us as the word redeemed. The particular one that is found within Ephesians that we're dealing with 
literally means to us that we've been redeemed, which means that we have been released as a captive after payment of the ransom price. We also know that the Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ the Lord. And so we are living under a death sentence when we live in sin. It's a sentence that we have earned. No one can take the credit for your life but you. No one suffers the consequences for sin but you as it relates to your life. But the Bible tells us that somebody paid the penalty to set you free from the prison of your sin. That one of the blessings that we have in the heavenly realms is that when He looks at the book of life, He sees your name in it. And because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you live under the blessing of freedom while you are living on earth. You're not under the curse of sin. You're not under the curse of death because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You see, we were created by Him. We were His property. Therefore, He rightly has the right to redeem us. We were imperiled. We were slaves to sin, which leads us to death. And then He redeemed us again. He created us and owned us and redeemed us again by His own blood. And we belong to Him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For you knew that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to release the oppressed. That's good news for us today. Because you see, regardless of the state in which you find yourself in, you find yourself a captive to sin. And you find yourself oppressed. You will discover there's nothing you can do about it. You can change some of the circumstances of your earthly life. But you can't change heaven until you come to Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm going to ask that you'd stand with me. Next week, I'll, I'll try to bring a conclusion to this as we begin to move on. But I have to believe that the word of the Lord that was proclaimed this morning was live seed planted in our hearts. Amen. Amen. And uh, in such a real way, our, our lives are lived with distraction. How many times have we made assurances to God that we were going to follow Him in all things only to be distracted? Have something capture our attention and move us? I asked the worship team if they would lead us again in the song that we had sang during worship time. And I'm, I'm going to ask them to lead us in that. Worship His holy name. And as we do so, I want you just to close yourself in this morning. I know there's a million things rushing through your mind. Mine too. But this is His house and we're His people. So as we sing this, would you just close your eyes and perhaps if you're comfortable, you can just lift your hands in a position of surrender to the Lord and just allow 
allow the blessings of God's presence to flow through your worship as we sing this song.